Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. Uh, for If you're new or watching online for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor. And I want you to know why we exist as a church. We exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Now, that's not just a, a statement that we make and you know, have hanging on the wall, which we do have it hanging on the wall, by the way. But it's, it's the guiding direction for why we exist as church, what we do together. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to continue a series called Mountain Monologues. It's about the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest message. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to grow and live the new life of Jesus Christ. And to grow in the new life of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what it is, what it consists of. And the best place to find that out is in uh, this book, that what we call the Bible, the Word of God, 66 books actually. And we're going to look in the book of Matthew. And we've been looking at chapter 5 for the, since Easter. And we're going to be going through chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is where the Sermon on Mount is located. And we're going to be doing that through August. But today, we're almost finishing up chapter 5. We have one more week in chapter 5. And what we've learned so far is that Jesus wants us to live out the law. And uh, over the past five weeks, we've been talking about the law. We started talking about blessings, beatitudes, you know, attitudes of blessing. We talked about being salt and light. We talked about what it means next to um, have Jesus fulfill the law, which, uh, unless we know what the law is, everybody listening to the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, knew what the law was, the law of Moses. And Jesus was talking to 12 guys, his disciples, they were gathered in close, but there were probably thousands of people there gathered listening on as Jesus spoke. And all of them were Jews, except for probably some Roman soldiers, we'll talk about that during the message, but all of them would have understood when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, that he meant the law of Moses. It was called the law of Moses because God had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through a man named Moses and his brother Aaron. And they were out in the wilderness between Egypt and Israel for 40 years. It should have taken them a couple of weeks, but because of their disobedience, it took them 40 years. And so what we find as we look at the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament or the writings of, uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures, is that when the Israelites left Egypt, you, I guess we could put it this way. It didn't take long for God to take the slaves out of Egypt, but it took a really long time to take the Egypt out of the slaves. The Egypt, the, the, the idol worship, actually, which they learned in that country, the mentality that I'm a slave, that I'm not really a child of God, all of those things took a long time to get out of the Israelites. And one of the ways that God sought to do that was by establishing the law. Now, the thing that we probably, you might know this or you might not know this, is that when God delivered the slaves, the Israelites, from Egypt, he did it through miracles, Moses performed 10 miracles, and as they, they left the, the, the nation, God provided some more miracles. And the reason I'm giving you that background is because when God gave the law of Moses, the law to Moses, I should say, which became known as the law of Moses, he separated Moses for 40 days from the Israelite people. And he went up, Moses went up on a mountain, and God and Moses interacted face-to-face for 40 days, And God gave Moses 613 commands, 10 of which were written on a tablet of stone. And these were to be the guiding direction for the people of Israel. Now, the thing is, and this is hard for me to believe on the surface, while Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, the Israelites forgot who God was. (laughs) They, They said to Aaron, 
we don't know where Moses went. We need a God to worship. Could you make one for us? And so Aaron uh, got the gold from the jewelry and, and everything that the folks had, and he put it in, a, in an oven, and he, he made and fashioned a golden calf, which was very similar to the idol that was worshipped in that uh, region, uh, the, the god Baal, or Baal. In any case, while Moses is away, these people who had seen God do ten amazing miracles, I mean, he, God turned the Nile River into blood. God had used locusts and hail, and other things to destroy the crops of the, Israel, of the Egyptians while where the Israelites lived with the land of Goshen, a portion of Egypt, nothing wrong there. God had sent darkness, total darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face in Egypt, but in, in the area of Goshen, it was daylight. And then finally, the most radical of all of the ten miracles that God had performed, he passed over, the angel of death passed over the Israelites and went to the land of Egypt, and every firstborn, whether animal or person, male died. And as a result, the Egyptian king finally let the Israelites go, but then he changed his mind. And so as they're going out from Egypt, the Israelites are pinned between the Red Sea and this army coming upon them to kill them. And God parted the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to come across, he put the water back on and they drowned. Then, if that wasn't enough, while they were out in the wilderness wandering around, they got hungry. And so God provided food from heaven. They got thirsty. He provided food in a desert from a rock. So here's my question. If you were there, you saw all of those things, do you believe that you could have forgotten this God who did all of that? Well, I know you might be saying, I couldn't, but I understand. I'm going to say, yes, I could do that. Because how often have I done it in my own life? God has provided me every good thing in my life. God has provided me with the Holy Spirit because when Jesus came onto the earth and lived and died and went back to heaven, rose again, went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to those who trust him as Savior and Lord. So I have the Holy Spirit in my life, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in your life. But how often do we forget that? How often do we pursue, you know, some relationship with somebody that we think will be an advantage to us or we want to get a, a lot of money so that we can, you know, be secure or, or we want to have whatever it is, that, the latest flavor of the month that we want to have in our life and we pursue that instead of the living God. And so Jesus turned to the law of Moses in his Sermon on the Mount and everybody listening knew all of the background that I just shared with you. And they also knew that when the Israelites actually went into the promised land, God did more miracles so that he could get rid of the people that were there so Israel could become a nation with their own land. And then what happened next is amazing. The people said to a prophet named Samuel, we don't want God to be our king. We want a real king. Listen to what that, that, that sounds like. We don't want God to be king. We want a real king. A human king is what they meant. Like every other country. We want to be like every other nation. Why would you want to be like every other nation when your nation has God as a king? And God said to the people, well, you know, I'll do whatever you want. But whenever you get a king, a human king, what's going to happen is they're going to, you know, they're going to enslave your children. They're going to send them off to war. They're going to give taxes. It's going to be a bad situation. And they said, well, we don't care. We want that. And even with the first king. It was obvious that what God said was true. Saul was a bad king, and then after Saul, there were a couple good kings, but then by the fourth king, the, the nation splits into two nations, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom never had one good king. And those kings led Israel into idol worship. And the southern kingdom only had a handful of good kings, and most of the kings led the southern kingdom into idol worship. 
And by 722 BC, the northern kingdom was dispersed and taken off into exile by the Assyrians. And by 596 BC, um, the Israelites, the, the people of Judah were carried off to Babylon. And from that time until Jesus stood there talking on the mountain that day, the Israelites had been occupied by one imperial force after another. And this time it was the Romans. And when I said earlier there were Romans there, I guarantee you with a crowd of thousands of people, there were Roman soldiers walking around. Because the Romans prided themselves in making sure that every nation that they conquered stayed conquered. And so there were Roman soldiers walking around just to make sure this was a peaceable demonstration, if you will, to make sure that nothing happened. So Jesus had been telling his disciples and the crowd about the law of Moses. And he had taken, so far, he had taken a handful of the laws, which were the more important and more memorable laws, and he had changed them, making them even harder for the Israelites to follow. In fact, you know, it said don't murder, and, and one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not murder, but what Jesus said was, I say you can't even get angry with somebody. You know, the law said you can't commit adultery, but Jesus said you can't even show lust for another person or, or you're guilty. The law had said it was okay to get a divorce, but Jesus said, not, not really. You know, that was because your hardness of heart. That's really not the way it's supposed to be. And last week we talked about oaths. You know, they, they, they would take oaths by the heaven, by Jerusalem, by all, the king, by all these things. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 just say yes or no. Because as soon as you step past yes or no, you're getting into the realm of evil. And today we're going to find one more thing that Jesus is going to talk about when it comes to the law. What he's going to talk about is retaliation. And as we see, if you've been here over the past few weeks, Jesus made it impossible. It was already very, very hard to follow the law. Now it's impossible. Why would he do that? And what we've said since Easter Day is this. We can only live God's will and purpose in the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus is laying out for us how impossible it is to follow his Father's will and purpose unless we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, which means unless we have a relationship with him because only those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Jesus today is going to tell us that we are not to retaliate against our enemies. We are not to retaliate against our enemies. If you follow along in the outlines, that's the second point in the outline. I already made the first one. We can only live God's will and purpose in the Holy Spirit's power. So last week at the end of the service, I sort of primed you for today. I said, we're going to talk about retaliation. And we all know what our culture says about retaliation. I don't get mad. I get even, right? And, and, and the funny thing is, somebody came out of church after the 10 o'clock service and said, I don't get even. I get ahead. Now, that is not really what Jesus is going to talk about, right? But, but we understand that's our culture, right? We get ahead, we get, we get even, we're, we're going to retaliate. And, and so what we're going to look at today is what Jesus says about that. And let's introduce that by the take-home point, which if you're new to new life, the take-home point is the one point we're going to take from this passage of Scripture, and we're going to reflect on it today, and hopefully we'll take it home and pray about it, and we'll live it out in our life this week. And so here it is, neither getting mad nor getting even are options when Jesus is our Lord. Now, how counterculture is that? I can't get mad, I can't get even. I mean, I mean, that's just normal everyday life. Turn on the news, people are getting mad and people are getting even, right? All of these other laws about murder, 
That's about getting even. People kill people because they're upset for something that was done. You know, why do people commit adultery? Because they want to get even with their spouse because they, they think that their spouse is offending them, so they want a different relationship. All of these things are tied together, and what Jesus says is none of that. None of that is the way of people who are kingdom people. So let's turn to Matthew 5, 38 to 42. It's on page 21 in your Mountain Monologues booklet, if you have that with you. It's going to be on the screen. You can get it in your Bible, obviously, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. So let's, before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus offers us truth. And it's hard truth. It's impossible truth. But we thank you even more that your Holy Spirit is available to us to give us the ability to live out these things that we're talking about in these weeks. And we pray today for your Holy Spirit to be poured into each of us, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our lives, that we can receive your truth and then live it out to your glory and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So when Jesus said this time, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He was quoting several different laws from the law of Moses. And we're going to just turn to one of them. It's in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25, where it says, When men strive together, that means when men are fighting with each other, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out and there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, why in the world would God, in his law, advocate retaliation? Why would God say that when something is done harmfully to you, you have the right to do it back to the other person? Well, believe it or not, what God was doing here was limiting retaliation. Because in those days, in all of the world of the Middle East in those days, for example, if you hurt my wife, I killed your family. If you killed my family, I killed your tribe. There was an escalation of retaliation. And so wars would come about because somebody, you know, one person got hurt. And so what God was saying was, if you break my left hand, I get to break your left hand and it's over. No more retaliation. Now, that sounds fair. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's going to be anymore. Retaliation isn't going to be part of what we do anymore. So what Jesus does, he sets a new standard as he always does. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So, do not resist the one who is evil. What Jesus is basically saying is, when somebody hurts us, we're not supposed to do something back. Now, let's think about this for a minute. There are a couple of things I want to lay some sort of boundaries because there is such a thing as righteous anger. When we see something unjust, we need to respond to that. But Jesus is going to give us the context of how we respond in just anger. And also, I don't want anybody here to think that what Jesus is talking about is a little child should be allowed to be abused. That's certainly not true. 
or sexual abuse. Those kind of things are not here on the table. What Jesus is talking about is interactions between adults. This is what's supposed to happen. Now, I don't remember all of what happened from 1955 to 1968 because I was born in 1957. But in 1955, a man named uh, Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. organized a, a, a bus boycott in Birmingham, Alabama. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Most of us are not. But in any case, what happened was Martin Luther King Jr. got the African-American population of Birmingham, Alabama to do what Jesus said. Not to resist, not to fight, not to you know, use guns, not to use weapons but to simply peaceably resist, just sit on the seat where they wanted to sit on the bus because they weren't allowed to. They had to sit in the back. They weren't allowed to go to a certain bathroom. They weren't allowed to go to a certain restaurant. And so what Martin Luther King Jr. got people to do all throughout the South, basically, was in various different cities to organize and to do what Jesus said. Now, I do remember this. In 1965, because I was eight years old, there was a march from, um, from Selma to Montgomery. And what happened... On the news, I saw this on the news with my own eyes, was police would be beating people with clubs and they wouldn't respond back. There would be German shepherds would be attacking these people and they would take it. And eventually what happened was, even as an eight-year-old, I knew that was wrong. And adults all around the country realized this is wrong. And so what happened over time was laws were changed and it became permissible for people of all different backgrounds to go where they wanted to to eat or to use the restroom or those kind of things. Now, I do not live under the illusion that everything's perfect in this culture, in this society. But what the point I'm making is Martin Luther King Jr. and thousands, thousands and thousands of people used what Jesus said to do effectively to change the way people treated each other. Instead of retaliating, they just peaceably received what was offered. Now, let's look at some of these um, situations specifically because Jesus goes into detail after he says the big thing. But I also want you to understand one thing. Where does this abuse come from? Where does this idea of retaliation come from? Well, it comes from the pit of hell. That's where it comes from. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief, that is the devil, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he came to give us life in all of its abundance. So when we want to hurt each other... That's killing and stealing and destroying. That comes from the devil. And Jesus is always about overcoming the work of the devil. So Jesus says specifically this. He said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So, um, Jamie, would you come up here, please? I, I asked Jamie. He doesn't know exactly. I told him he's going to come up here and punch me, which he was eager to do. <laughs> Not really. Okay, so anyway. So it says, if somebody wants to slap you on the right cheek, okay, Jamie, you're right-handed, right? And you're, you're trained in boxing, right? You what? I, that's why I had him come up here, because I knew he's a boxer by background, right? Okay, so if I have a right cheek over here and you're right-handed, how can you punch me in my right cheek? Well, okay, see, okay, he's going to move. But you have to move out of the way. It's not a natural thing. In order for him to use his right hand, it actually, he has to slap me. He can't punch. Well, you can do a back fist. That's a Taekwondo move. Come on, boy. Okay, so, so he can slap me, backhand me, which is what Jesus is talking about. He can insult me. That's what it is. When somebody slaps you, that's an insult. But Jesus says when somebody does that, turn the left cheek too. Now, if, I, if he's a boxer and I go like this, I'm going to wake up, you know, somewhere else, right? I'm going to be horizontal for a while. 
I'm going to be knocked out. Okay, so you can go sit down. Thank you very much. So, so what Jesus is saying is, if somebody insults you, it's not a big deal. Let them go ahead and hit you. That's a big deal. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus say this? Well, here's the answer. Short answer is, Jesus was teaching us the ways of God's kingdom, not the world's ways. The world's ways are escalate. The world's ways are retaliate. The world's ways are get even or get ahead. But Jesus' way is not that. And it's going to be hard. And Jesus didn't just preach this. Jesus practiced this. Now, I want to put this in the grand scheme of all eternity. Because in the grand scheme of all eternity, Jesus is coming back and he's going to kick the devil's butt. There's going to be a fight, a big fight. And the devil and all of the people that are on the devil's side are going to lose. And Jesus and all the people on his side are going to win. And then there's going to be peace reigning forever. But in the meantime, what Jesus says is we need to understand as kingdom people, retaliation isn't our way. And when Jesus was getting arrested, one of his disciples decided retaliation was the way. He didn't apparently take good notes on the day the Sermon on the Mount was taught. But this is what it says in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said to Judas, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men uh, with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Now, if any of you think that this guy was trying to slash off the guy's ear, I don't think you're reading this correctly. He was just a bad marksman. He was trying to kill the guy. Maybe slice off his head, right? But he just gets the ear. And so what does Jesus do? He says, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But, I did, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? So getting mad and getting even don't advance Jesus' cause. That's what he's saying. And Jesus was willing to go with that all the way to being arrested, beaten, crucified. And as they were crucifying him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so the people who are kingdom people are called to when people are, you know, angry, when people are hitting us, when people are hurting us. And again, let's make the boundaries clear. Not little children, not sexual abuse, not talking about that. And and beyond the scope of this message, it's a message for another day. Nation to nation, that's a whole other thing. We're talking about one-on-one in a relationship, what happens when I am willing to take some abuse is people's lives change. And Jesus' goal was for the, the life to change in such a way that they would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and their life would be radically transformed forever. So righteous suffering can bring new life. So Jesus continued, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Has anybody ever heard of anybody being sued in this culture? Huh. Every day, people sue people over everything. In fact, suing people isn't a new thing. I hope you realize that they were suing people back in Jesus' day, or Jesus wouldn't have said this. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he rebuked them because they were Christians, and they were going to secular courts and suing each other. And what Paul said is, wouldn't it be better for you to be wronged? Now, there's a powerful question. In this culture, who is willing to be wronged? Not very many of us. We want our rights. I mean, we're Americans. We get our rights. And we stand on our rights. But what Jesus is saying is sometimes it's better to be wronged. And he gave the case here. So 
The next thing Jesus talks about is, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this was a very particular law. It wasn't a Jewish law. It was a Roman law. Roman soldiers were able to force you to carry their pack for one mile. It was just part of the law. If, you, if I came up to you, I'm a Roman soldier, I say, hey, Chris, look, you got to carry my pack for a mile. And Chris had to. He didn't have a choice. And what Jesus says is, look, when that happens, don't just carry it one, carry it two. Now, by this time, the crowd is getting restless. They're going, Jesus, are you crazy? Why would I want to help a stinking Roman do anything? Why would I want to do more than I'm required to do? That's the key question here. Why would a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, do more than we're required to do? And here's the answer. Jesus' followers always do more than we have to do. Jesus' followers always do more than we have to do because we're so grateful for all Jesus has done for us. I used this absurd example last night. I said, what if I stood there last night and I said, you know, tomorrow I have to preach three sermons. Can you believe that? i got to preach to 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. How ridiculous is that for me to say I have to do that? I get to do that. How many pastors in America get to preach four times on a weekend? Not very many. It's a get-to thing. We get to because God has done so much for us. And so whenever a situation comes up where there's a duty, an obligation, we're not supposed to look at it as a duty, an obligation. We're an opportunity to get to do something. And the funny thing is, it's not funny, I guess, but here in America and probably across the world, we have taken this second mile idea and we've talked about giving. When somebody says, I have a second mile giving opportunity, what they mean is you're already tithing because as believers, the tithe is the starting point. So there's an opportunity to do something extra. And so you're going to reach down from your extra resources and you're going to give more than you're required to give. Now, this always raises a lot of questions in churches because people say, well, the tithe was part of the Old Testament and we're not part of the Old Testament. We're part of the grace of God. And so now we don't have to give 10% anymore. Let me ask you a simple question. If you've been here the last few weeks. When Jesus said, you're supposed to not murder, he said, oh, it used to be you can't murder, but now you can't be angry. Is that harder or easier? Harder, okay. Okay, Jesus said in the past, you can't commit adultery, but now you can't have lust for somebody. Is that harder or easier? Harder. Okay, when Jesus said that, you know, divorce is something that should be very rare, it should almost never happen. And back in the Old Testament days, you could just write out a little letter and your wife is gone. So is it harder or easier? harder. Okay, last week we talked about oaths. They used to be able to take an oath, and if they took an oath by heaven, they didn't have to do it. If they took an oath by Jerusalem, didn't have to do it. But now Jesus says, your yes is yes, your no is no. You just have to do what you say. Is that harder or easier? Harder. So why do you think Jesus would make it easier in the New Testament era when it comes to giving than harder? It would be harder. So generosity is part of what we do. As followers of Jesus. So it's not really a message on giving, but what Jesus is saying is when you have the opportunity, the obligation to do something, do twice as much as you're asked to do. Can you imagine what would happen at work? What would happen at school? I know you're out of school for the summer. Everybody's happy about that. But, you know, if you did twice as much as you were expected to do, eventually people would be going, what's going on with you? Why are you doing so much more than you're expected to do? And when people do more than they're expected to do in the name of Jesus, what people say is, that is amazing. That is incredible. And that's what Jesus was going for. He wants people to see followers of him. And when they just look at how they live their lives, go, that's incredible. That's amazing. Nobody does that. 
Nobody takes it whenever somebody hurts them. Nobody gets sued and says, okay, hey, yeah, go ahead and take it. I don't care. Nobody does these things. Go the second mile? Hey, I'm trying to figure out how to not have to go quite the first one. That's our culture, right? Little as we can to get by. But no, we are different. And when we live that way, people will know that God is involved. How will they know that God is involved? Because we can't live that way outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can try as hard as we want to try, and we're not going to be able to do these things for very long. The only way we're going to do any of these things for very long is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when people see that, it changes them. And so here's the next step for this morning. It says this, I will let the Holy Spirit, see, that's the key, I will let the Holy Spirit free me from the need to get mad or get even this week. So can you picture our families? Can you picture our workplaces, our communities, the baseball fields and, the, you know, the, the, the dance studios, everywhere we go, can you see all of these places with Christians who are doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm not retaliating. I'm not suing. I'm not this. I'm not that. Unless there's a grave injustice. And then I'll use Jesus' methods to address that. Unless you're hurting somebody who can't defend themselves, then we're going to stand up for that. But imagine a world like that. Huh. Jesus already did. That's why he preached this message 2,000 years ago. Jesus imagined this world because he came to bring the kingdom of God. And yes, it will only come in its fullness when Jesus returns. But day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, our charge as his followers is to do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world will know there is a God who loves them and who is willing to do whatever it takes. Jesus died and rose again. That's whatever it takes to have them be part of the family. Imagine a family like that. Can you imagine it? <laughs> well, Jesus well, Apostle Paul said this in the power of Jesus. He said, God is able to do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine through the power of the Spirit working in us. That's our job, and it's what we get to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to know you as Savior and Lord. Thank you so much that we get to love you and serve you. Thank you so much. This is a hard one that we get to stand and take it sometimes, that we get to be offended sometimes, that we get to, to stand there in the name of Jesus and receive things that aren't pleasant, rebuke and ridicule, and maybe the hardest of all for me is just being ignored, so that your love can be seen, so that your truth can be evident, so that people on the outside of your family will see and say, I want to be on the inside. And God, I pray for anyone here today, anybody watching online who hasn't yet trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord, that right now they would simply turn to you and say, I don't want to live that worldly life anymore. I don't want to live a world of a life of retaliation and getting mad and getting even. I want to live a life of freedom. I want to live a life where you are in, in charge. And, and God, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone watching online, that they would just say, Jesus, come in and take over. Jesus, be Lord, owner of my life. Be Savior. Save me from the sin and death that is all around me. And God, for all of us who have already done that, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit into us new and fresh. 
so that we can do these things that are impossible without your spirit. God, let us live our lives in such a way that you will be glorified, that you will be glorified, and that people will know that you exist and that you are alive and that you are powerful to save and transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.